Did you know that a person could sing so well that they would win every contest on the planet? People would be in awe. They'll write them up in the New York Times. They'll write them up in the community papers. People just want to hear them. And yet God would not want to hear them. The whole world would want to hear a talented, highly skilled singer, but not God. God will see it as an abomination because the heart is not clean. But if the heart is clean, even if nobody wants to hear this person because they don't have the vocal abilities they think are good by common consensus, God says, you're the one I want to hear. Hallelujah. God is looking at the little people. God is looking at you and me. Just a piece of cosmic dust in the vast universe. But he draws near to the little one whose heart is right. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. This is the essence of a true relationship with God. True religion. Everybody can have it. Everybody can have it. Anyone can have it. If we get first things right first. How desperate are you? How desperate are you that your heart should be pure before God? More than food more than clothing, more than shelter, the things that we need, that God gives us, we should have, but even more than the basic necessities, more than your money, more than your bank account, more than your family, more than your life. Do you want holiness? Do you want to be holy? Because God says in Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. No one. Without love, 1 Corinthians 13, 2, I'm nothing. Doesn't matter if I've got every other thing even. Great faith. Without love, I'm nothing. Without sincere faith, where I know I came to the house of God today, I came into the presence of God today, and I'm not going back the same way. Can you shout Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. I believe. I believe. I believe. If you believe, God will touch you. Not just emotionally and psychologically. Socially. But spiritually. God has the capacity to deposit something into you after He takes out that which is defiling. Amen. The Spirit of God can do it, if we believe. Faith. Without it, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11, 6. The three non-negotiables, the three indispensables, holiness, love, and faith. What is your HLF index as pertaining to your spiritual health? We know about BMI. We know about body mass index. We know about all these monsters in the laboratory tests. What's contained in your blood? How much oxygen do you have? What's your physiological makeup as per the sample from your blood? We're very keen to check that and to see whether we are at risk. And 
Modify it. But what about your spiritual index? What is your HLF index? Holiness, love, faith. It's more important than anything else. Because without it, you can't make it to heaven. Without it, you can't have a relationship with God. You can't. What is your BWA index? What is your CEM index? How much of bitterness do you still have in your blood? How much of wrath do you have in your system? How much of anger is remaining? How much of clamor, argumentation, and argumentative spirit still is allowed to live in you? Argue with God, argue with your spouse, argue with your children, argue with your neighbor, argue with everyone. That's a trait that must be destroyed. What is your index on evil speaking? Do you say bad things? Do you say it in a nice way, but it's evil nonetheless? Are your words carefully chosen to promote healing, edification, or do they slander other people to make yourself look good? God forbid, they never be so. What is your CEM index? Do you have malice? Even if you don't say anything, but you hold a grudge, there's resentment. These things are defiling you, they're destroying you. The spiritual person inside of you, the new spirit. The Bible takes a whole lot of time, takes a whole lot of space by the Spirit of God to address these things because they are positive hindrances to your HLS progression. We heard about bad cholesterol and good cholesterol. This is the bad stuff. BWACM. You need to check. We need the Holy Spirit to take a blood sample to let us know what's our true spiritual state. To get rid of it so we can grow in the good things. Holiness, love, and faith. Oh, Spirit of God. Jesus went around the villages teaching, number one, that's what we're hearing right now, teaching and then preaching the gospel of the kingdom and then healing people. God wants to do all of that. Hallelujah. Blessed be the rock. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing it to the Lord. Purify my heart. Purify my heart. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the laboratory analysis. I didn't realize I had such a bad composition, Lord, of these things, these markers of ill health. That is putting me at risk for spiritual death. Oh Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Purify my heart, Lord. God can wash away all of the sedimentation of bitterness that we've accumulated through us. Unhealthy eating habits. Taking in junk through the ear gate. Taking in the world's filth through the eyes. Allowing the thoughts of the flesh to circulate in our brain, even when we're lying down. God can detoxify us. We don't need to be spiritually toxic. We can be clean by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Let's read it. Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul said, Timothy, give attendance to the reading of the Word, because it is the Word that's going to work in our heart to separate and divide that which is not of God and help us to retain and receive that which is from God. Ephesians chapter 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or plead with you, I'm asking you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Next verse says, with all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Love is what's going to transform us. Love will transform me and you, and then work through us to transform others. Love is powerful. Love can meet head-on bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, argumentation. Love can meet it head-on when you have love. It can meet evil speaking when bad words are coming your way. It can meet malice when there are evil intentions, ill intentions from others toward you. Love, it's written, shall cover the multitude of sins. How powerful it is. So we need to get more of God's love. With all lowliness, not boasting, not proud, not talking a lot, but being swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry, slow to rest. Lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. That means putting up. Not saying, that's it, I'm going to slam the door on you, I'm walking out. No. Bearing with one another, putting up with it. What is the goal? Endeavoring to keep the unity. The devil's after schism. He wants to cut unity between husband and wife, parents and children, within the church. That's the devil's primary MO. He uses that so he can slaughter people individually. But if I understand that God has called me to have God's love and then transmit that love, I can maintain the unity. One person can stop a whole multitude of evil spirits if they have the Word of God in them, or him or her, and say, I'm going to love no matter what. Amen? I'm going to endeavor to keep the unity of the bond of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's go to the next verse. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. It's an assignment God has given. When we're saved out of this world, God says, you belong to me. Now I have adopted you into my great big family, which is in heaven and on earth. You're part of my family now. So there's one family, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let me keep reading. Verse 7, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The Apostle Paul is writing things that the Holy Spirit has deemed necessary for us to get. So when we read the Bible, if I read it casually or I look at it and say, well, there goes this section again about unity and bond of peace, and okay, I'm looking for a particular thing. No, no. I need to come to the Word of God and say, look, what is the particular thing you're looking for to tell me? And it's all over the Bible. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So we have a measure of grace, every one of us, and a measure of faith. The question is, what am I doing with it? If I think I'm nobody, I'm no good, I'm just little, I'm insignificant, I'm not the preacher, I'm not the person who uh, evangelizes, I'm not the person who organizes things for God's church, I'm just kind of isolated on the periphery, and I'm finding my way through life and this journey of faith, and hopefully I'll end up in the right place, that's not God's will. And it's not God's work. God's work says every one of us has been given a measure of grace and a measure of faith. It's very, very profound. When I get wind of that news from heaven, it empowers me, it gives me hope, it gives me purpose that God expects me when he gives me something like the talents entrusted to the servant to receive it, Believe it, that I have it, and then use it. Use it for the glory of God. Now when the Lord resurrected, He made an open show of all the demon powers of the underworld. Publicly, He just put them to shame. In the process, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to people. Let's go to the next verse. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? In other words, he couldn't ascend unless he descended. He did come to earth, which means he descended, but he went further. As the Lord said, he went into the heart of the earth. He went right down to Hades. He defeated all the powers of the enemy. And he received gifts to give after he led captivity captive. What are the gifts for? Did you know God didn't receive gifts, Jesus didn't receive gifts, to give to the angels. There is no gift he received when he resurrected mightily to give to Gabriel. Not one. No gift that he received through his mighty resurrection to give to Michael the archangel. Not even one. All of those gifts are for the people of God. Amen? God has given us a treasure house of gifts. Only when I know my inheritance will I be keen on saying, Lord, so have given grace and faith and a whole possibility of receiving gifts from you. Supernatural gifts. Let's go to the next verse. He had to pay the price. Verse 11, Ephesians 4.11 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. These are gifts to the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not meant to find its way around 
God has ordained by the Spirit of God, not through an ecclesial authority, people just saying, well, these are our requirements, but by God. And he has anointed his servants, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors, to do what? To equip and to build up the body of Christ. Not just in numbers, but in the soul. To make me more aware of God's presence. To understand, Lord, this is what you've called me to be. So beyond the role of a wife, or a husband, or an employee, or a leader in this earthly domain, God has called me to be his servant, first of all. He's called me to be, all of us, his children. How? As a bright light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation or generation. In a world full of hatred, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking and malice, evil intentions, even when people are smiling. A lot of times there are ulterior motives and evil intentions. God sees all of it. He says the world is corrupt. Everyone has gone corrupt, abominable things they're doing. Not one is good until the grace of God comes. So we are agents, first and foremost, as children of the living God, to be like salt and light, where people are attracted to God through our lives. That's the primary goal. So, the gifts that God has dispensed to the church are given to what? Equip us to be there. Let's go on. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, nothing less than perfection. Why? Because God is perfect. He's working. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, somebody, when they want a particular job and career advancement, you know they'll be consumed day and night. They'll look very carefully at that posting. Okay, what are the requirements? I have to have such and such level of education. I can't go to the next thing because if I don't have the minimal or minimum educational requirements for this position, it's no use writing down my experience because they said if you don't have it, don't bother applying. Those who do not meet qualification one need not apply. But if I have that, I go to the next thing. So what kind of experience and technical skills are they looking for? How keen people are when it comes to worldly men and money, when it comes to position, in this little world that will perish after all, they invest so heavily in energy and mental powers and physical strain and put on their best uh, image to go to that interview. And after all, in the final analysis, it's a grasping after vanity because you can't do anything as regards your heavenly state. Now, same thing with getting a house, buying a house. Same thing with moving to a neighborhood. How many parents will say, well, are the schools good for my child? Let me look at the last meeting that they have hosted, their minutes. Let me see the last decisions from the Board of Ed. Let me look at all the reviews and go to Google. We do that with restaurants, with schools, with prospective employment. A lot of things. But when it comes to the soul, God says, do the same thing. 
at least the same thing. Find out what God's high calling for you is and say, God, I'm done. I'm done with this push and pull where I'm constantly bouncing between getting a hold on the purpose of my life and the peace that I need and Lord, a sense of fulfillment. People sometimes travel. They leave North America, they get on a plane and they go all the way to the Himalaya mountains. You know why? In search of meaning, true peace. And they come away invariably, that means without fail, every time, every case, without being fulfilled, even though they like to say they are. After all, without sin dealt with, there's no relationship with God. Without God, there's no peace. There's only pretense. But God has called us to fill up. Fill up in my soul. Keep drinking the living water. Keep eating that word, the heavenly manna. Build yourself up. Make sure you're growing. Amen? I have that responsibility to make sure I check my own growth. I can't say, well, I'm just like a plant. When God gives the sunshine and He puts the rain and I'll grow if He wants me to grow, that's about it. No. God has given me the capacity. I'm like a plant. A volition and a will to say, Lord, I want to grow. Lord, I want to see what things are hazarding my growth potential in the kingdom of God. Lord, I thank you that through your word, through your spirit, you're identifying these things. I'm eliminating it, and I'm receiving more holiness, more love, more faith. Let's go on. Verse 14, that we should, this push and pull, we should no longer be children, immature, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, people whose motives are not godly. But they flatter people, they say, well, we're all God's children, no matter what you believe. I don't judge you and you don't judge me. It's a wonderful world. Those are liars. Because although we are created in the image of God, everyone, in that sense we're all the offspring of God, we don't have a relationship with the Father except through the blood that was shed by His Son on the cross. Amen? It's the blood that cleanses me and gives me a new nature, God's nature, so I can be in fellowship with Him. Tricksters, hucksters, liars, who will be preaching to people, saying, it's okay, no matter what you watch, you're your own person, no matter what you hear, you can do whatever you want. Never mind this holiness talk. After all, who's holy except God, right? Never mind trying to be perfect. After all, who's perfect except God, right? After all, who can really love like God? We just can't. So let's give up trying. Let's just do the best we can. Can't can we all just get along? Would you stop judging people, preacher? Talking about bitterness and wrath and anger and love and there's a deficit here. And, oh, I hear this in the world all the time. They tell me I'm no good. I don't measure up. I'm always striving for something, but I just can't seem to get the satisfaction. Now I come to church and I'm hearing the same thing. Oh, preacher, can you tell us something good? Well, if we want sugar, we can fill up a bowl full of sugar. Mix it up and say, open up. I'm not giving you any bit of medicine. Drink sugar and you'll be fine. But isn't this going to kind of lower my immunity? No. Who told you that? Has God said? 
No. You do whatever you feel like. You're going to be fine. That's a liar. When the Spirit of God speaks, He will uncover, not to condemn, but to convict so strongly that I say, God, I can really see now, without me taking care of some things in my soul, in my heart, I can't go forward with you. Lord, I'm jeopardizing my spiritual life if I don't take care of the toxic things in my soul. This is what the apostles taught. Whether you read Peter or Paul, or you read the Gospel of the Lord Jesus, whether the prophets, all of the Bible, you know the ones who really believe? That's why faith is important. That what I'm hearing, God says I must mix what I'm hearing with the faith so that it can produce a change. But if I hear it and say, well, it sounds kind of logical, then it doesn't. It's palatable to me. I like some of it. I don't like some of it. But if I stop and I say, God, this is from your word. If I can't comprehend it and it doesn't settle well with me, something must be wrong in my hearing. God, help me to hear it the way you want me to. God will solve it. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Next verse. Ephesians 4.15 But speaking, this is my job. This is my command that God has given me. This is God's command to you also. Speaking the truth in love. You know, love speaks. God speaks. When a parent that loves the children speaks, when they tell the children, you need to clean up your room because you can trip over something. If the child is not hearing right, the child will take offense and say, oh, I don't want to do it. I'd rather watch TV, I'd rather play. And besides, I did it last week. You're always telling me that I have to clean up my room and it's always messy. Well, that's true. But when the parent loves the child, the parent will explain, I'm doing it so you don't get hurt. Mommy and Daddy don't get hurt. So stay and listen and then do it. There's a love that says, I want the child to get better, to grow in wisdom. That's what God does with us. May grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. Let's just keep going, the next verses. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Now, these are a whole bunch of words. You know something? When I used to read the Word of God and get to sections like this, I used to think, oh boy, there's a lot of words, there are a lot of words here and it seems to be either repetitive or going into more and more. It's kind of hard for me to make sense. So you know what I did? A lot of times I'll just breeze through it. But I'll tell you something. If and when we value every single word that's written in Scripture, and Jesus said the Scripture cannot be broken, as coming from the mouth of God, and I go praise by praise, stop, and say, Lord, what do you mean by this? From whom the whole body. Who's the body? Why did God say whole? See? The Spirit of God will start illuminating if we're desperate for the truth. And then I go to the next phrase. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. The day you and I take time and get on our knees before the Lord, say, Lord, phrase by phrase and then word by word. Father, 
you wrote this for me, please explain it to me. You'll find your understanding will grow exponentially. And the result of that understanding growing is, your spirit man will get stronger against the enemy. You'll be able to resist the flesh to a greater capacity. You'll experience the freedom that comes from God. And you'll be flowing in God's love. From the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Notice, everyone in the house of God, everyone in the body of Christ, has a share in the growth of the body. So it's not just the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, and the pastor. It's every brother, every sister has a capacity to pray and intercede, to do good works, to show love. We're not isolated people who come together for a couple of hours on Sunday. God is saying, did you know, even when you get in your vehicle and you go to your respective homes, you're still connected to the body because there's an invisible but literal connection through the Spirit of God. And I ought to be praying for my brothers and sisters. That can help them to grow. I ought to do good work to show love. That will build them up. That will provoke them to also love. It's a powerful thing, God says in the scriptures, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's go to the next verse. This I say, now, having said all of the purpose of God, all of His tremendous plan, all the things He's longing for, oh God, now I know exactly what you intend. I know what to look for. Truth in love. Paul says, by the Spirit of God, This I say, therefore, having said all of this, and testify in the Lord that because of everything I said, you should no longer walk. No longer walk. Stop walking. Like the rest of the Gentiles. How do they walk? In the futility or vanity of their mind, their minds are consumed with food. What's the next meal? What's the next investment opportunity? Who's the next person I need to impress? What's the next vacation going to be like? There's a lot of, there are a lot of things that cascade, build on and scaffold one by one. So much that we're so occupied and preoccupied. There's no room to consider. But God has a purpose. He wants me to grow. I don't want to think like the Gentiles. Let's go on. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Now, all of us are not alienated from the life of God because we are born again by the blood of Jesus. We're connected to Him. God says, if you're connected to Jesus, stop acting like you're not connected. If you're connected to the vine, stop acting like a branch that is by itself. Let the flow of God's life flow through you. Don't act like you're ignorant. The heathen, they're ignorant. They don't know about the life of God. But you do. So your behavior must match up with your... Belief with the relationships and the power God has given you. Because of the blindness of their hearts. I was once blind and so were you. It used to be that I thought, even though I was raised in a Christian home, I didn't really surrender to God, I didn't really have a relationship with God, I thought it was automatic as a child. And then the Lord showed me that I need to confess my sins to Him one-on-one. And I need to ask pardon from Him for my sins. And I need to believe that Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ, died on the cross for my sins to make me a brand new creation. Before that I thought, you know what, you kind of have your Indian culture, 
just like your Spanish culture, your Filipino culture, your African American culture, your Haitian culture, whatever culture you have. I thought, you know, you take your culture, it's a big part of your life. Because it talks of community, it talks of identity, it talks about relationship. And you take that because that's you, you can't change it. And you take what you see out there in the world, across the cultures, how people behave, and you see, you know what? It seems like people who are proud and they assert themselves are the people who are looked up to in the world. So maybe I need some of that. And the people who are very ambitious, they get a pat on the back. So maybe I need some of that. And you know, if my children achieve, and I achieve, according to the world's measure of success, then maybe I will have arrived where I can be finally fulfilled. That's the exact blindness of the world. Ignorance of the world. God has given me a brand new understanding. He's opened my eyes. He's opened your eyes. That to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In other words, my whole life, my career, my culture, my community, everything is centered on Jesus Christ. Everything must flow from the life of Christ. That whatever I study, whatever I live, and be, however I behave, whatever I pursue, must bring glory to God. Amen? Isn't that the Christian life? So Paul is saying, don't do anything apart from that, because that's not you. That's your old life. He's appealing to our reason by the Spirit of God, saying, now, get a hold of this. Paul had aprons and handkerchiefs. He took it out of his pocket. They said, Paul, can we just take this piece of cloth? We just want to know one thing, Paul. He says, what's that? We want to know if the apron or the handkerchief has touched your body, because if it touched your body, then I know that when it touches people who are sick, people who are diseased, people who are evil, that is demon-possessed, possessed by evil spirits, we know, Paul, those evil spirits will leave we know they're going to get cured. They can have leprosy. Touching Paul's handkerchief or apron, piece of cloth, it's going to leave. Now, would it be wonderful? Would it be wonderful if we didn't have to read this? All we read were fantastic miracles. Ephesians chapter 4 is all about, you know what? It wasn't just Paul's handkerchief. It was his breath. Paul just went, whoo. And all of a sudden, the devil left. People got cured. They said, my God, my, my eyes are open. How did it happen? Paul came and he blew on me. And we find that in Ephesians 4. We say, wow, this is amazing. People love to hear that. But God says, you know what? All of that comes after this. Paul was a Pharisee. He was learned in the law. He really did love God for the best he knew. But he was blind. When he received Jesus Christ, he spent a good number of years one-on-one -on -one with God. What do you think God told him? He told them the depth of his sin. He told them the beauty, beauty and the excellency of Jesus, the atonement, the resurrection, how the Lord fulfilled all that the prophets spoke. He was taking in the teaching from heaven. God is a teacher. God gives the Torah, the instruction. We have to say, God, I'm sick and tired of playing hooky from school. Every time you teach, Lord, I want to run. I want to know where the miracles are, Lord. I want to feel something. God says, wait a minute. 
Before you can really feel my presence, you need to be taught. So this is very important. I know who I am. I know my identity. I know what God has called me to, and I want to live up to that. That has to be settled. My one ambition in life is to live for Christ and become all that He has purpose for me to become. That goes for man, woman, and child in the church. Once I settle on that, now the miracles will start to abound. God will also give you gifts. He'll give us gifts. But the teachings are important. Let's go to the next verse. Next verse. This I say therefore, let's do the next one going forward, 19, who being past feeling, has give, that means there's no conscience anymore. You know, when somebody takes that bottle and they drink one time, and they say, you know, knowing what I know, alcoholism is bad, and this may be the gateway for me to get hooked into it, but I'll take my chances, and I'm just going to take a little sip, and I'm just going to see, you know, I, I don't know how it feels. How many people live life by trial and error? Many people die and get slaughtered. Okay, mom, dad, you told me that it's bad, but you know what? Unless I take a sip and I make my own decision, what you're saying is not valid. People fall into devastation like that. But when the instruction comes is so we don't take the sip and trip and fall. The Gentiles, no longer convicted by the conscience, one drink leads to another drink. One lustful glance leads to another lustful glance. Before you know it, they're engrossed in it to the point where it doesn't even bother them. Same thing with hatred. Same thing with anger and wrath and bitterness. Oh well, so what? So I got angry today. I'll just wash that off by what? By eating, getting on the phone with someone, going to the beach, whatever it is. I'm just going to kind of... I can't be bothered with trying to be Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect. That's how the world feels. I'm just me. And uh, my conscience may be dead. That's okay. Isn't everyone's conscience dead? They're blinded. Past feeling. So they give themselves. They say, here I am. Handcuff me. Handcuff me. Who's the person speaking to? Immorality. Spirit of evil, immorality, and adultery. Here I am. Take me away. I want to give myself over to you. And the demons rush in and devastate that person. Covetousness, greediness, money, real estate, and property, and gain, and getting that bottom dollar to balance out everything that I want. Take me. Spirit of avarice and covetousness and greed. Demons, take me. I want money. I will live for you. I promise. I'm your servant. Where money speaks, I listen. They give themselves over to it. The Gentiles give themselves over to pleasure, to money, to pride. They literally live in this. Everywhere you see, you might see a lawyer, you may see a doctor, you may see a professor, you may see a homeless person, person at the grocery store, the president, anyone you see. Take a cross-section of humanity. You'll see they're either having their eyes open or they're completely blinded following the dictates of the flesh serving Satan. So the Gentiles work all uncleanness with readiness. Let's go on to the next verse. But you have not so learned Christ. This is not what God taught you. 
didn't teach me this? He didn't teach me to be immoral, did he? Of course not. He didn't teach me to be covetous, to be proud and arrogant. No, that's not from God. Paul, by the Spirit, is saying, don't you realize? These kind of manifestations in your flesh, they're not from God. That's the old life. That belongs to the world. Don't give yourself to that. You have the ability, even though you're born again, to say, handcuff me again. No! Say, I'm nobody's slave except the Lord Jesus. Amen? I will not serve sin. Amen? Whoever commits sin, gives them to the flesh, Jesus said, is a servant or slave of sin. I'm not a slave. God set me free. I'm free to love, to be holy, to faith. If indeed, if it's truth that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. As the truth is in Jesus. As I'm hearing this, I hope you are evaluating yourself. It's not just a historical document in the first century AD, and we have copies, virtue of the Gutenberg Press, and the electronic media and all this, so we have the same word, it's wonderful, and I can read about Paul and about church at Ephesus and doctrine and theology. No. What God is interested in is, are you this? Or are you that? Are you in the old life? Or have you done with that? Are you done with it? Go into a new life. That you put off all believers in Ephesus, this brand new infant church, People who are genuinely born again, they used to worship this demon called Diana, Artemis, a grotesque, demonic image, huge. The city was known for it. They used to worship these idols filled with demon spirits. Then they heard the preaching of the word. They said, no more. Jesus is the real God. Things started changing, but they needed to grow. Paul says, I don't want you to be immature, tossed to and fro. I'm telling you that you have to put off your former behavior, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceptive or deceitful lust. Sin is deceptive. When you get a thought, do you know what? He said this to me, I can't let this go. No, I need to say something so they know that they can't mess with me. That's the spirit of the devil. Paul is saying by the spirit of God, when you get that notion... That's a knock on the door of your heart and your mind to say, act on it. You have to say, no, that's not what Jesus taught me. He taught me to be forgiving, tender-hearted. He taught me to be kind. When the devil says, you know what? Her husband looks better than your husband. You need to say, I curse you in the name of Jesus, you spirit of adultery, you spirit of complaint." Your spirit of evil. Did you know it's a real demon that speaks to you? It's not a person that says, yeah, I think he looks nice or she looks nice. You know, that woman probably is better to her husband than my wife is to me. It's from the pit of hell. Because that thought, if it's acted upon, will take you down the path of mental adultery, physical adultery, which will destroy your life. But we need to say, Lord, even if my husband or my wife or my children are not what they should be, even if, Lord, it's a burden to me that it's still not happening, Lord, they're not committed to you, they're not changing, they're still arguing and fighting, God, but I'm thankful, hallelujah, it's not what it used to be. Amen? 
I'm thankful, Lord. I'm thankful, Lord. God, I thank you. We're on the path to progress. And through faith in you, I know that you will fulfill everything you promised. Hallelujah. And I'm happy, Lord, that I have this husband and this wife, even if there is a problem. Are there problems? God, you told me what God has put, to, put together, or put, a, uh, put together, that no man set asunder or something. So that means a person doesn't need to say, I'm done with you, I'm walking out on you. Or I slam the door and walk out. Just the thought that comes in the private imagination, I think maybe I'm too good for them. Maybe I've been waiting a long time and they're just not up to par. Maybe I need to look elsewhere. If we don't deal with that right then and there, you'll be playing right into the devil's lies and his wrathful, disastrous destruction. This is how it works. So that means the flesh, fueled by evil spirits, real demons, suggest things to the mind. And when I can identify, wait a minute, I just had a thought. I have the capacity, through the Spirit of God and the Word of God, to evaluate that thought right there. The moment I know, this is not from Jesus, that's not what Jesus taught me, I curse you, get out of Jesus' name. Lord, I'm thankful for my husband, my wife, my children, for the job. Thank you, Lord, for my house, for my apartment. Jesus, I thank you for the car. Even if things are worked out. God, I thank you, Lord. I have so much more than so many people in the world. Thank you, Jesus. You know, when you thank God and you... Reject the enemy's suggestion. God will begin to work even more. God will fulfill His plan for your life and your family's life. God is awesome. Let's go to the next verse. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So, it's not just a matter of bad things coming, I'm fighting and fighting and get away from me. I don't want to hear your voice, devil. Won't you stop? I don't want to hear about adultery and anger and bitterness and that food that keeps coming to my mind. I don't want to be gluttonous. Oh boy, I'm beaten. People come to church or they come to God and say, Lord, that devil sure is powerful. Well, he may be powerful. But who's more powerful? God Almighty. We have to say, Lord, you are on the throne. You see, if I just fight and fight and fight, don't fight back. If I don't fill the vacuum when the evil is taken out, they will come back around easily. But I have to fill myself with what? With the new man, renewed in the spirit of your mind. Everything that the Spirit of God told me I am, I need to hold it. And say, but Lord, I'm holy. You call me holy. Lord, you call me a faithful person. You call me a loving person. God, thank you, Lord. You know what wonders it does to a child? When a child has failed in class and in a grade level, and everybody, the teacher and other students make fun of the child. Oh, there goes the F kid, the failing kid. Oh yeah, him? He, hasn't, he doesn't have a chance of graduating. And there's a stereotype and there's a stigma attached to that child. What a burden to carry. But you know, it takes one parent to say, but I believe. That even if you fail, you can still succeed. You know what kind of tonic that is? To know that somebody believes in me. Somebody believes that I can still make it. There's a window of hope. God gives the same to us. Even when there's a mess. God, but your word, your word is true. I know I'm going to come to the full light. Right now it's a tunnel. I can just see it at the far distance, Lord, what I'm supposed to be. 
what my family is supposed to be, but I'm holding on to your truth. I know I'm going to come out in the open full of your glory. Hallelujah. God says, that's who you are. That's the hope I've given you. Believe it. Act on it. That you put on the new man, which was created according to God, and in true righteousness and the holiness. Why do you say two words that sound similar? Righteousness speaks of being right. Making the right decisions. Speaking the right words. It's connected to holiness. Holiness has more of a meaning of separation and consecration. You see, I'm right because I'm doing the right thing, but I'm also set apart exclusively as a royal priesthood. What a difference. Imagine if all of you had robes today. Uh, very elaborately, intricately woven, woven, beautiful embroidery. All of you are in, in a long gown, white. You know what? You all have wafers and communion cups in your hand. And you go through all the court doors. Can you imagine that? You, with a big robe, maybe even a ecclesial hat, and just going flowing into the bodegas, you're going across the street, and you're telling people, you know what, I have forgiveness for you, my child. I have a new life. And it's from God. And you, have to, you give them the real gospel. But what I'm trying to convey is with these vestments, sometimes people have a better understanding of their calling, of their duty, right? When a person puts on a uniform, whether in a police department or hospitals or they have a certain attire that they wear to the school, especially private school, you see that clothing, the clothing itself gives you the consciousness that I have a particular demeanor that I have to keep up. I have a particular calling. In other words, I'm going here on a mission. Did you know, by the Spirit of God, without having that external robe, through faith, you know, you have a righteous garment God has given you. So you are actually holy by the blood of Jesus. You are holy by the blood of Jesus. You are a person of faith through the gift of God. You are a person who is full of love and the grace of God. Now, if I have that consciousness, I'm able to meet people and talk to people and be able to convey the same holiness, love and faith to others. You see? You don't need to have a garment. You don't need to have a certain kind of a, a presence where you speak in a certain way. God says, let's minus all of that external stuff. Let's go right to the heart. If you have love, holiness, and faith in your heart, I can bless you and use you. But I need to be conscious. Paul, by the Spirit of God, is talking to the Ephesians who lately were saved out of the world from idolatry and feuding and stealing and lying. He says, brothers, sisters, my Gentile believers, co-heirs with Christ, all of a sudden they're just taken to another realm. And Paul is not letting up. He's saying, I know what God has done for you. Now, you've got to measure up to it. You've got to grow up into it. Oh, Ephesians, you are called by the name of Jesus. Don't go back to the old Ephesian lifestyle. You're no longer corrupt. You're holy. 
You're no longer what you used to be. So don't own it anymore. Get rid of it. Act like you are new because you are new. According to righteousness and true holiness. Hagiasmos. This concept of I'm separated to God. It's like the community cup. I should say the tray. You know, for the bread and the community. It's like uh, the offering box. It's like this pulpit. You don't take this and you go and put it as a furniture somewhere else. You don't take that communion tray and say, well, I'm going to use it to serve dinner today. No, why? Because of hagiasmos, because it's holy, it's been set apart exclusively for the use of God in His service. In other words, I don't profane what God has called holy. God is saying, did you know your mind, your spirit, and your body have been made holy by the blood of Jesus. So don't trash that. Don't look at things that are not holy because that's not you anymore. Don't give ear to that which is not holy. It's not you. Paul is saying, it's not you. Remember what God did? We're supposed to go deeper into that. Bro, let's go to the next verse. Therefore, look at how he gets right to the heart of where they're living. It's not about, you know, you're a Christian now, and you've got to go to church, and you've got to pay your tithes and offering, and you've got to, you know, uh, uh, help out in the kitchen and uh, in the fellowship meals, and you have to do this and that. God, all of that is still periphery. Are you lying? Are you lying still? The Spirit of God is speaking something most preachers won't preach. Well, Paul, being a true servant of God, says, if you're lying... You're owning the trade of the devil. can't be like that. Don't lie. Don't lie. That means the Ephesians had lying in their midst, just like we have today, in many places. You see, the Spirit of God says, unless I bring out that which is impure, how can I ever do purification work? Get rid of that. Look how he breaks it down so simply, that even a child can understand. He said, therefore, since you're new, since of God's purpose is so high on you, I call it, put away lying. It's like taking the trash, you know, you don't keep the trash in your house. Worms festering and build up a trash compactor in your house, you know, have a room dedicated to trash. It's going to destroy the whole house. But as you take that smelly trash and you say, i got to get this out of the house. Take lying and say, think, i got to get out of my life. What is lying? Lying is not just were you? Were you at work yesterday? I sure was. When I wasn't? Yeah, that's lying. Did I see you talking to that man? No, 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 not me. Knowing that. I don't want to be associated with that person because that person doesn't have a good reputation with the rest of the people. At the spur of the, most spur of the moment, I said, no, 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 not me. I lied. But you know another form of lying is? Acting like something I'm not. Oh, God. I think that really gets home to a lot of people where they are. You know, I'm a Christian, and I love God, I love Jesus, and I do like to drink. I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, but I do like to see the latest movies out there. I'm a Christian, but I know that you have to love people, so I do go to the bars, you know, I try to win people to Christ. There's no holiness there, there's no separation. That's a lie. 
That's a lie. So God says, stop lying. If you are infected with that stuff, God says, now it's time to get rid of it. That's all. God doesn't say, well, I found a spot in you, and I saw you cheating, and I said, I'm done with you. Goodbye. No, thank God. Thank God. Aren't you glad? Thank God. No matter what spot has come on me, what I've done, I can go fall upon God. You know one thing I know of God? He'll always forgive. Hallelujah. He's so good. Unlike humans. I know when I go to my God and fall on my face and say, Father, forgive me. I've sinned against you, Lord. Forgive me. God is so quick to forgive. And that's why He tells us to be like Him. But be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Let's go to the next one. The reason he says here, because you're members of one another. Imagine, look at your hand right now. Everybody has a right hand, and you have a left hand. Imagine if the left hand got hurt, and the right hand says, no, you didn't. You think, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. If it could speak. The left hand says, I'm feeling itchy. Can you help me, right hand? You're not itchy. The left hand says, you know what, I feel cold, I'm frostbitten because I don't have a glove. You're not cold. That's such a schism and such a contradiction that you think, wait a minute, isn't the right hand part of the same body as the left hand? What good is it? Doesn't it make sense? You have the whole body together. He says, you're members of one another. You belong to the same body, don't lie to one another. Be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Anger is a terrible thing. How many of you know firsthand? I do. It's a terrible thing. It's a trait of the devil. That kind of anger that, that holds grudges, that refuses to forgive, refuses to yield, and it just destroys you. It makes you ugly on the inside, and it manifests on the outside, because you're self-centered. You go and fall before the Lord, the Lord, that's not me. I, no, I did it. I'm not saying I didn't do it, but... It's not who you called me to be, Lord. Cleanse me, Lord. And it says specifically, don't let the sun go down on your right meaning. Don't let it continue, because if you let grudges and resentment and anger continue, it has a way of snowballing. It has a way of multiplying exponentially with every second. He says, get rid of it right away. Nor or neither give place to the devil. We're going to finish up right here. We're going to arrive right at the verse that we started with. That's why we're reading this. Let's go to the next verse, verse 28. Let him who stole, wait a minute, Paul, how dare you? We're thankful that you're an apostle and you're telling us about Christ and all that. Are you calling it thieves? Paul, do you have something against the Ephesians? I can't believe it. Paul just called us a bunch of crooks. I don't want to hear him anymore. Send that letter back. You can send it to Smyrna or Pergamos, but not to Ephesus. I don't want to hear it because this man is really, really mean. Hi. He called me a crook. He called me a liar. Paul is saying, if you have this in your midst, it's going to destroy you. It's not you. So get rid of it. Get rid of the trash. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. You see? There's no vacuum. I get rid of stealing. I get rid of lying. And no vacuum. What I do is, I do the right thing now. I push myself forward to do what? Give to the person who has need, working with my hands. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but 
what is good or necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. What a high responsibility. If I read the word, even if that one verse, Ephesians 4.29, you know what a change it will cause in your life, in my life? If I just say, God, every day I'm going to work on this by the Spirit of God, that when I speak to my spouse, when I speak to my children, when I speak to my colleagues, I want the effect to be that which will build them up. Raise their level of morality and ethics. Let them know what the light of Christ is in me. What it is. I want to speak loving words. When my boss screams at me or a colleague wants to show me up, I'm not going to retaliate. I want to smile and sincerely love because they don't know what they're doing in a real sense. They do, but they don't. That it may impart grace to the hearers. I'm thankful to God. He didn't say, here's the Decalogue, the Torah, the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, and for all Christians all time, as long as you abide by the Ten Commandments, you're fine. Thank God, God has given an excess of 1,500 commandments all through the Bible, in addition to the Ten Commandments. More than 1,500 commandments spelled out. There are repetitions, but why did God say so many things over and over again? Because the people won't let it go. And the ones who heard said, God has spoken once, twice, three times, four times, five times. My God, I have thousands and thousands of times God has said not to do certain things. You think I'll listen? You see how the Spirit of God will convict us? God, you mean business with this. I can't have it. No more bad attitude. No more lying. No more stealing. No more pretending. God, I just want to be simple, true, holy, loving, faithful like you. Praise God. Let's go to the next one. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Remember who you are. You were sealed for the day of redemption. God put his mark on me and you. When God looks across the globe, he looks in Africa, North America, South America, Europe, he looks at Eurasia, he looks at even Antarctica, there's some people there. He looks at uh, every Australia. He looks at every continent. Do you know, instantly he knows who belongs to him and who doesn't. Because there's a mark on the person. He can scan 7, 8 billion people in one shot. And just like in a, in a Google image from a satellite, when you look at the canvas of the earth at night, you see all kinds of flickers and dots of light where they have power, right? Electricity. Just like that, there's a mark. He knows who has the light. Who belongs to Jesus Christ. God is saying, if you belong to Him, and you are sealed with my mark, that one day you're going to be with me in heaven forever. Don't grieve my spirit. Isn't that sad? We can hurt God. He said, when you lie, it's hurting Him. He said, this is my child. You're not supposed to lie. When you pretend... To be something you're not, it's a lie. You're hurting God. He says, you don't have to do that. That's not you. When you steal time or money or whatever it is, when you steal affection that belongs to other people, when you do these things, various definitions and implications, when the Holy Spirit does a thorough work, you go right to the root of it because He wants to eradicate that. There's no chance for that to grow again. Amen? But only holiness, love, and faith. He says, don't grieve the Spirit of God. Let's go to the next one. This work concluded here in this chapter. Again, what is your BWA index? Your CEM index. 
you need to know our physiological, biological profile. Because, spiritually speaking, it means the difference between terminal cancer and optimal health. Do I have bitterness in my heart? Do I have grudges? It's not only not a good thing, it's cancerous. It's a spread and defile the whole person. So when you try to pray, you won't have the connection. When you try to read, you won't have the connection. When you try to do something for God, evangelize, even then you feel a complete emptiness that there's a lack of connection. That's the worst thing. But when I go to God and say, Lord, I've been bitter against my mom. Oh God, forgive me. God, I thought I wasn't bitter against my son, but I am. Lord, I'm bitter against the system and people and bureaucracy. I'm so angry at the nation and the government, maybe. I'm angry at that community leader. I'm angry at the police. I'm angry at this person. I'm angry. God says, leave justice into my hands. The just one will take care of everything. But you don't let that poison get into you. Maintain holiness, love, and faith. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, clamor is no! loud speaking and arguing. Get rid of it with all malice. Don't wish evil on anyone. Don't do it. A lot of people say, I don't wish evil on nobody. Meanwhile, they have a hundred things they want to happen to certain people. Not vocalizing or verbalizing is like the tip of the iceberg. You may get off that top portion, but the whole mass is there to destroy the ship. God said, uproot the whole thing. Get rid of all of it. Instead of this, instead of grieving the Spirit of God, make him happy. Make the Father happy. Let the Father say, that's my son. That's my daughter. Oh, they're putting that flesh to death through the Holy Spirit. They're letting love flow, holiness and faith. What should you be like? What should I be like? Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. That means feel. Maybe I need to give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe with all my access to rational explanation for why they shouldn't behave the way they are with me, with all of my resources, collecting the pool of rational arguments within my mind, saying, well, this is the reason why I should be like this. I don't want to hear that. I know what God told me, and there are many things I can't see. God, who can see everything, has told me, but you be kind. But you be tender-hearted. You forgive. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Because God is different. Amen? Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the teaching of the word as Jesus went about the villages and cities. Teaching, preaching the kingdom of God, the solution, the power of God, and healing all who are sick. He healed every disease, every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that you continue to pour out your blessing, Lord, upon us. As we have heard, Lord, what we need to do to have a profile before you is completely pure by the blood of Jesus. By a proactive measure that we take, Lord, to take your command seriously, that we have the capacity to obey or disobey, and we choose to obey. We will grow in obedience, hallelujah, that our lives may be used for it, Lord, all the more. Bless your people, I pray, the hearing of the word of God in Jesus' precious name. Amen.